If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Colossians chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 9 to 14 in our time together this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. Let's look to the Lord in prayer before we look into his word. Father, we rejoice over your goodness. We rejoice that um, you are ever faithful. We rejoice that we know you as Lord and Savior, and we are secure in you. We are children of the King. Father, may that not merely be words that we say. May that be something we believe in the core of our soul. And Father, may we then open ourselves up to you to transform us through your Spirit. And we pray all this because of Jesus Christ, our blessed Lord. Amen. You know, folks, we live in a world that tells us Christ is not enough. I, I, I worry, frankly, sometimes when our young people go off to university. And I've always pushed very, very hard that they get connected up with a good Christian group on campus. Because when you hit the college scene, I, it was my experience, too, at the university scene, when you hit that scene... All of a sudden, you have the greatest minds in the world coming at you on, from secular psychology and naturalistic philosophy and the sciences and all these different disciplines. And, and what happens is people start saying, you know, maybe Christ is just a crutch. Um, you know, you can't possibly believe that it's, you're saved only by Jesus, can you? And you know what I'm saying? One wave comes after us, after another. And it just, it just kind of takes the edge off. And we begin having some questions and doubts, and we wonder. And we wonder if Christ is enough. I uh, contacted an old seminary student the other day. I'd seen something on, I'm not a big Facebook guy, like I go on Facebook about six times a year, you know, and then I find out people wish me a happy birthday four months before, you know, it's really bad, but I, but I happened to go on, and because it was a student I hadn't talked to in a couple of years, and I was a little troubled by some stuff I saw, so I messaged him, and um, gr- brilliant young man who frankly had been ripped off and hurt by, by a particular ministry, church ministry. And he basically told me he's just kind of taking a hiatus right now from Christianity. That stuff really concerns me, and I, 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 I hear that story far too often. Where people have started well, and then they start buying into philosophy and thoughts and concepts and the worldview. And before you know it, at best, Christianity is just something they do on the side. That's it. And I want you to know that is not new to our day. When you come to the book of Colossians, what's interesting about this particular book, it, it, it's what they're facing. But this is an interesting church because this is a church that Paul has never visited. He had a powerful ministry in Ephesus that ran about two and a half, three years. 
And, and matter of fact, people that didn't love the cause of Christ were ticked off. They said, that message is going on, going all over Asia. They're, they're all upset. And one of the things that happened is a fellow by the name of Epaphras became a believer. And, and he was from a place called Colossae. And he traveled back down to Colossae, so overwhelmed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that Christ has come, and, and there's hope for humanity, and, and, and you can be saved and delivered and live a different life because of him. So overwhelmed, he went down, he started his own church, down in Colossae. And so, so Paul, Paul was, was ministering in Ephesus, but he was church planning in the entire area because of people that came to faith in Christ. It's a couple years later, Paul now is sitting in prison in Rome. And Epaphras comes to him and ministers to him. While he's there, he says, God has done a great work at Colossae, but I'm concerned. I'm concerned because there's still this idea that maybe Jesus isn't enough. Maybe he's not sufficient. Maybe we need more. Maybe it's not everything it's cracked up to be. And Paul sits down and pens this epistle. Because he, he loves these people. God has clear, they're believers. God is clearly at work in their life. And he's so afraid that they're going to get off track. You know, years ago, I heard somebody share the story that um, being, a, being a Christian is kind of like riding a bike. If you stop, you fall. I mean, you can't just say, well, I'm just going to stay. I mean, it, it doesn't work that way, does it? So in his prayer, we hear his heart for Christ-centered living. And I, I want to talk it through with you. And, 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 and I just, I really pray, folks, you know, the, the problem with preaching and teaching is, you spend hours with this text, you get all excited about it, and you figure, how do I get people excited about it? You know, how, like, you know, how can I get people going, like, wow, this is really great, because I know that's not often where people are. So, so I get that. So I pray that God's Spirit will use this. Let me start reading in verse 3, because that's where his prayer begins. I want to focus not so much on the thanksgiving as much as on what he actually prays for. But let me, let me just read it. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for God's people. Doesn't it always work that way? When people come to a faith relationship with the Almighty God because Christ has died for us and he begins to transform us when we accept his Son, does it not change then how we treat one another? So, so faith in Christ and your love for God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. I mean, the reason you trust Jesus, the reason you love people is because this is not make-believe. You have a hope that is firm in the reality of where all of this is going. And that makes all the difference in the world. He goes on to say this. 
this gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So Paul knows that these guys are believers. He says, you've come. You have a hope in Christ. Therefore, you have a faith now that is alive that affects how you, you, you talk to and treat one another. And Paul says, it's because you're part of the gospel. And one of the things we learn, not just here, but all through the New Testament, you will not stop the forward movingness. The forward moving, is movingness a word? Just made it up. You will not stop the gospel from moving forward. Okay? Do you see? Paul says, this gospel is, is bearing fruit and increasing everywhere. And you have been recipients of this, folks. There's something so much bigger. You know, the church of Jesus Christ is much bigger than the chapel. The chapel is very important to Jesus Christ. He loves the chapel. But there's something much bigger going on in the world, isn't there? And we're part of it, folks. We're, we're not like just doing this in Washington Township and then the whole world's just whatever. No. The gospel is penetrating throughout the world everywhere. And we get to be part of that. It's a beautiful message. So that's where Paul starts. He talked with Epaphras, and that's good stuff. These are Christians. God is at work. However, there are people living at Colossae that are looking at Christianity and saying, oh, come on. You can't really believe that life is meaningful and purposeful that just by being a follower of Jesus Christ and allowing that to be your obsession, right? I mean, come on. You should dabble in Judaism and you should dabble in this experience and that experience. That's just not enough. Do we not all get those attacks in our lives, folks? And Paul hones in and says, Jesus is enough. Being obsessed with him makes all the difference in the world. Colossians and Ephesians were written at the same time when Paul was in prison. Ephesians focuses on the church of our beloved Christ. Colossians focuses on the Christ of the church he loves. And so you get, you pull back as you read this book and you become overwhelmed with Jesus Christ. I wish we could work through the whole thing, but we don't have all the afternoon, so we'll just focus in on the prayer. Listen to the prayer. Verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Does that not amaze you, incidentally? Just a side note. How much Paul loved believers. Even believers he didn't know. He hadn't met these people yet. He, he wants to meet them, but he hadn't met them yet. And he's just, they're part of the family of God, therefore he prays for them. Anyway, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God, now, let me read this and try to unpack it because I'll just read it. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. 
Okay. If I say to you, you can know God's will. You know what I think most of us think? Oh, good. Now I know what college I'm supposed to go to. Ah, I am supposed to take that job, aren't I? I should buy that house. Do you know what I'm saying? We often think that God's will is, Lord, any, meeny, miny, mo. which decision do you want me to make on this particular issue today? And, and, and God is gracious and he guides. And so I, I get all that. That's not what this passage is talking about. This is not talking about some individual will of God that you can determine, okay, I'm going to marry her. I'm not going to, you know, whatever. It's not so much the point. God's will in the book of Colossians is all about his will for humanity that he has taken care of in the person of his son. So, so when Paul says, I want you to be filled, controlled by, overwhelmed by God's will, what he has done in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I want you to do that because the spirit is the one that both gives you understanding and wisdom. He says, what I want, when I pray for you, if Paul was here right now, he was praying for us. He'd look over at Bobby and he'd say, Bobby, I want you to be so obsessed and overwhelmed with the wonder of what God has done in Christ. That you believe that at the core of your soul and it impacts all of your relationships and all of your responsibilities wisely. What's, it, it helps you to know how to approach this person and that person and this responsibility at work. It does it all, but it all comes out of the gospel, folks. That's what he wants for Bobby. That's what he wants for Carmela. Bob, I mean, we can work John. I mean, we just, Dave, everybody, everybody. I'm just hitting the left side here, but, but, but all of us. Do you see? You, you, okay, it's over here too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but do you see? Paul says, I know you live in a world where you face opposition and doubt, disappointment. And it's easy sometimes to say, I think I'll kind of slow the bike down and quit moving along the path I'm moving. And Paul says, when I pray for you, I just pray that you will be overwhelmed with what God has done for us in Christ. Do you know, I, I, love, um, I, I love to just to, to read the epistles and kind of ask myself, what is Paul doing here? Because he does some really interesting things. He, he has this wonderful prayer, and then he has things he wants to talk to them about. But as soon as he mentions Jesus in verse 14, it's like he's gone. And, and from verse 15 and, I don't know, 15 down to verse like uh, 20, 21. He's lost in Christ. Yeah, I mean, he's talking along. And what I love about Paul, sometimes with his epistles, you think like he's really orga he's organized and orderly and, and he's logical. It's all true. It's all true. But then you hit him, you zing him with certain words and he's, he's gone. It's like, whoop, rabbit trail. Now, it's a divine inspired rabbit trail. And you have this divine-inspired rabbit trail where he's just saying, Christ is everything. Creation comes from him. Creation is sustained 
through him. Creation will ultimately glorify him. He's incredible. And as wonderful as that is, he's Lord of the church. And he loves his people. So when you say, what is it that Paul, you want us to know about Jesus? He is creator of all. And he loves you as his people. He is invested in you. And and Paul just goes off and he just says, Christ is supreme. He's above everything. He's wonderful. He's magnificent. And then he gets into chapter two and and, and chapter one and chapter two. And Paul's saying, let me tell you the story of what God has done. This is like an incredible story. People have waited and waited for ages. Jesus has come and we can be saved and the world will never be the same. And with all of its pain and difficulties now, the king is coming. And with the Christ event, all of history has turned and will never be the same. And so when Paul looks around and he looks at Christ for who he is and how much he's loved us in coming and what God is doing through him, he just says, I just, I want you at the core of your soul to be lost in him. That you're Think about it. If you know Christ is your Savior, he has brought the truth of the gospel to you. And you have bowed the knee and accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, and it will never be the same. And you're a participant of that. Yeah, but I don't feel like it every day, Doug. I've got all these problems. I know. We all got problems. We got hang-ups. We got, I get it. But we're his. And don't get off the bike. Stay the course and pray instead, God, fill me with this deeper understanding of your will and what that means in all of my life, in all of my relationships. And what happens when that happens? What happens when that occurs? Sorry. Paul goes on to say this. So that, verse 10, you may live a life worthy of the Lord And pleasing to him in every way. Do you you realize that? If God is going to change. If my life is going to change. Doug Finkbeiner will not be able to pull it off on his own. Ever. And neither can you. But the more we take in his wonder. Remember he says later in this book. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns. We did that today. I want you to take him in deeply into your soul. Think much of Christ and what he's done. That will so reorient you that you will move into all of your life in a way that is consistent with what, how he's designed you as his own. And you'll live a life that's pleasing to him. You know, I heard a guy tell me years ago, you can never satisfy God. That can only be done by the blood of his son. But you can, by his grace, please him. It's what the text says, right? Satisfying God, no, there's nothing I can do to earn my eternal security, my my eternal life. That only comes because God became a man and paid for my sins. Then God can be satisfied. But as a believer, you can please the one you love. On your own? No, because he's in you helping you do it. It's a wonder. 
And, and when that occurs, okay, okay, Fink Planner, so we kind of like obsess on Jesus, I get it, and then that allows us to live a life that's pleasing in him. What does that kind of, what does that life look like? Like, like, can you give us a feel? Paul says, man, I will give you a, a threefold feel. I'll tell you exactly what that looks like. It looks like three things. First thing he says here, just make sure I don't lose my place here. Uh, okay, yeah, um, verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. How much you found in your life that there's certain areas where you say, I can handle that one? Maybe it's at work where you say, you know, I'm a hard worker, I'm honest. I'm kind to the, my, my employees and my coworkers and all that kind of stuff. But when I get home, it doesn't go so well with the wife and kids. You know what I love about this promise? He says, I want you to bear fruit and increase in those fruits in every work, not selective works, every work. By the knowledge of God. Which means I am so filled with him. I think if you ask my fellow co-workers at Lancaster Bible College. What do you think about Doug Finkbeiner? I think most of them would tell you he's the nicest guy in the world. I think they would. I mean, I, I, I think they would say something along the way. I'm, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you, okay? Because I mean, and I'm not trying to be a put on, but I, you know, I, you know, but you know with coworkers, there's times when you want to say something, it's easier to zip it. You go like, eh, I won't say that, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? We, we, we all can kind of do that. But we tend to be who we really are at home, right? So I don't zip it as well at home. And, and, and there's times when I'll go home after having a pretty good day at work, and I get home, and of course my mother-in-law lives with us, so an issue comes up there, and then this thing comes up. And you know what's happening about that time? Thinking like, uh, but what happens if I come into that? And the best way for me is when I'm driving home to say, God, prepare me for whatever may await me. <laughs> now, honestly, isn't it? So, so when I get home... And it's all about, at the end of the day, learning more about God and being deeper in my relationship with him and expressing that to others. That when that thing comes, it hits me, but it bounces off instead of immediately penetrating. Now, if you hit me enough, it's going to break through. But, but you, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and those things come, and all of a sudden, you, I begin to see them from a God-centered perspective rather than a Doug-centered perspective. It makes all the difference in the world. He says, I want you to be so obsessed with the wonder of the gospel. I mean, put, put Christian music on your way home, then do something. Because Paul says, not only do I want you to bear fruit at home as well as at work, at school, wherever you find yourself, I want it to increase. Hey, I did pretty well with my kids. I didn't get upset that time. Praise the Lord. But God wants you to bear fruit and increase in every good work. 
That's impossible. Absolutely. By yourself. Absolutely correct. But as we're filled with him, it begins to change everything, folks. Incrementally, slowly, two steps forward, one step back. I get it. I get it. Yes, yes, yes. But there's movement. Paul says, I want you to be so filled with him that you're bearing fruit and increasing in every good work, in every area of life. Because it comes from the perspective of God. What else, Paul? Is that it? No, no, no. I got some more on my list. Look at verse 11. I love this one. And, and I don't know if you notice that sometimes in the... Um, Oh, no, it's represented here. Paul's like throwing every word imaginable at you from the Greek on strength and power and might. Listen to what he says. I mean, you pick it up here. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Are you getting that? So that you may have great endurance and patience. And I want to add something. There's... There's two words there that says, with thanksgiving, that can either go with the previous clause or the next clause. I think it goes with the previous. So I want to read it like this. So that we may have great endurance and patience with joy. You know what he says? Paul says, I know life is hard. And you will face circumstances which are so hard sometimes. And it's so hard to endure those difficult circumstances. You will have times in your life when that person person is so hard to be patient with. Oh, I just wish they were gone. And God says, you can't change that. You, you, You don't have the strength. But I want you to be filled with all strength by his might in accordance with his glorious power. Uh, You see what he's doing? He's saying, what I pray is that God will do something in your life that only God can do so that God will be glorified. Does that make sense? So I want you to be filled with all strength by power in accordance with his glorious might so that you may endure circumstances and be patient with all people. And here's the kicker. This is the one that I'm reading going like, oh, Lord, don't throw that one in there, please. With joy. Oh, man. Can't I just like grunt and bear it? Oh, man, Lord, I'm hanging in here tough for you. I didn't say it, Lord. I was thinking about it. And Paul says, do you realize when you become overwhelmed with the gospel and what Jesus has done, you can move into the most difficult circumstances. And it doesn't mean you're happy-go-lucky. Oh, hit me again. I love that. No, no. I just like it when life is really hard. You're a masochist then. You got problems, okay? We need to talk, okay? No, that's not the point. The point is, those difficulties can come in your life and, 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 and you're strengthened by God to endure them and to be patient with the most difficult kinds of people. And you can do it with joy because you know that God is the one both empowering you and he is the one 
that's going to work all this out together for good. Do you see? It, does, it doesn't mean you enjoy the experience, like, oh, this is... No. It's so fascinating to me when you read the book of Romans. Paul, compare Romans 5 with Romans 8. In Romans 5, Paul says, count all joy when you fall into tribulations. And I'm going like, oh, Paul, that is like a tough eight. And in Romans 8, he says, we groan under the tribulations of life. That's the balance. Do you groan when life is difficult? You better. But then how can you have joy? Not because of the event, but because the God who is with you in the midst of it and the God who is up to something through it. Do you see the difference? And so he says, I want you to be so obsessed with him. Because you will both bear fruit and increase in every area of life. And I pray that you will know the strength of God from the very core of your soul. So that you're able to work, move into difficult situations and work with difficult people with joy because God is there. That's a great prayer. Listen, if you don't know how to pray for me this week, just read the text. That'll work. Lord, I pray Colossians 1, 9 to 14 for Finkbeiner. I'm a happy camper if you're doing that. Right? That's what we should be praying. We, here's, a, here's a homework assignment. Go pray it for somebody this week. And if you don't know who, start with me. Okay? I'm happy about that. Okay, Paul. Seems like quite a bit. Obsessed with Jesus. Bearing fruit in every area. Moving in all these difficult situations with joy because God is working through you. Okay, I get it. Is that enough? Now, Paul says, I'm going to give you one more. Just, just, just one more. Okay, all right. A life pleasing to God. Look at verse 12. And giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you know what he does? He says, look, as you're living life and you butt up against life, yeah, God wants you to bear fruit there and there and there and there and with endurance, yeah, bite with joy and patience. But he says, you also need to just kind of pull back from time to time and just think again about God. Well, didn't it start there? Mm-hmm. But you're saying it should end there again? You should continue? Mm-hmm. And he says, I just want you to pull back and remember what he's done for you. I was dead spiritually. I was lost in my sins. I was in the kingdom of Satan who was only out to destroy me, but he was the only Lord I knew. When the light of the gospel shined, and I trusted Christ. I came into the kingdom of his beloved son. And God said, get Finkbeiner out of there. And tell him not to live that way anymore because he's not in that kingdom. I've often thought of it like this. 
this is kind of a crazy analogy. I'm, tr I'm trying to find the right country so nobody's offended, but I'm going to choose Russia. Anybody, anybody Russian in here? Sorry. I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to help us here a little bit, okay? I'm not opposed to Russia. I have good friends in Russia that are gospelizing good stuff. But let's suppose we go back a couple years, and um, Russia was fully communistic, and, it, and really the Cold War against the United States, right? And I'm Russian. And I come to the States, and I say, I'd like to become a citizen here. And they accept me. And I get naturalized, and I become a U.S. citizen. So I've come from this kingdom to this, and, and I'm not trying to, it's an analogy, okay? So I'm not trying to make all kinds of political statements. They're just work with me, okay? What happens if a KJB agent ends up on my door one day, knocking on my door, saying, Comrade Finkbeiner, or whatever, however they would say it. Um, <laughs> you know, you need to be doing this, or you need to be doing this, or you need to be doing this. You know what I tell them? I'm a U.S. citizen. I ain't under that anymore. I answer to another power, and it's not you anymore. Now, they can keep calling, and I can feel the pressure and wonder, well, maybe I should, maybe I, that's what we used to do. And, and we feel that tug, don't we? With the word, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. God has taken you from that kingdom into the kingdom of his beloved son. Don't play the games anymore. What else has he done? He's, he's, he's rescued us, and he's brought us in. He's given us an inheritance. I think when I die, my kids aren't going to have much of an inheritance. I mean, I hope they have some good memories. But if they're, I mean, if they're, looking, if they're looking to make it rich off of me, that's going to be a really big mistake, okay? That's not going to happen. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Okay, all right. We're in the same boat. Yeah. But that's not true spiritually. I don't get this one. Theologically, I do not get this one. I understand that I'm an heir of God. Romans 8. I get that. I, I, I wonder. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But you know Romans 8 says I'm a co-heir with Jesus Christ? Does that make any sense to anybody in here? It makes no sense to me. I mean, okay, if God would have checked with me before he designed this whole thing, I would have said, look, the air thing I'm all for, co-air with Jesus, I, I think I, I'd scrap that one. It's because I don't understand God. Do you mean he has loved us so much in the person of his son that he calls us a co-air with his son? You have an inheritance that you can't possibly imagine if you know Jesus Christ. And it's secure. You don't have to worry about the stock market. It's not going anywhere. He says, I've given you so much. I've taken you from here and I've put you here and I've given you my own son in whom alone you have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So when you're going through life and you're enduring and struggling and all those things, there's times when you just pull back and you say, I am wonderfully saved forever. I'll never lose this. 
Jesus, you're all I need, which allows us to step back into life and to begin to live differently, folks. That is a good prayer. God, help us to pray this way for one another. I try to always put this down in one sentence at the end. What is my one sentence? Here it is. Pray to know God's Christocentric plan more intimately so that we can live Christocentric lives more fully. I think that's what he's saying. So obsessed with Christ and his gospel that it changes the way you live. In chapter 2 of Colossians, Paul makes this interesting statement in verse 6 and 7. He says, just as you receive Jesus Christ, so walk in him. Do you know what he's saying? You've been riding the bike. Life is starting to get tough. People are saying all kinds of things. Pedal. How did you trust Christ initially? He worked in your heart, and you trusted him. You pedal. Just keep pedaling. Just keep trusting, because at the end of the day, it's not about your might or your power or anything. It's because he is faithful, and that changes everything. Father, would you do your deep-seated heart work in our lives? Lord, we know how to spell the gospel. We know how to share the gospel. But God, at the core of our being, will we, will we just obsess over it? Be obsessed with the wonder of what you have done for us, God. That we live on this side of the cross awaiting your coming. Oh, please, Lord, give us perspective so that we can move back into our lives as thankful people that are not afraid but are courageous by your power to make a difference in all of our relationships. Lord, we thank you for the glory of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that the gospel doesn't just justify us. It does. But God, you are in the process of transforming us. May we yield. May we focus. May we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.